The New York Department of Financial Services took a unique legal step earlier this month when it filed an order against Standard Chartered Bank for falsifying business records and books and failing to maintain accurate books and records related to financial transactions with Iran. So what does the State Department's action mean for financial institutions, especially where potential violations to the Bank Secrecy Act, as well as other laws and regulatory mandates are concerned? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group, and I'm here today with Charles Intriago, president and founder of the Association of Certified Financial Crime Specialists. Charles, the order filed by the New York Department of Financial Services against Standard Chartered Bank is unique. In fact, it's one of the first times a state regulator has taken steps to cite a federally regulated institution for violations linked to the Bank Secrecy Act. What can you tell us, Charles, about the violations mentioned in the order and the settlement the bank reached with the state last week? The comprehensive order that was issued by the Department of Financial Services of the state of New York under Benjamin Lossky, a former federal prosecutor, 46 pages of detailed information, including some pretty salty emails that were exchanged by executives at Standard Chartered. And the violations that were listed in the order uh, are a number of state violations about bookkeeping and record keeping, and they included one federal violation that in several respects mimics state requirements. It imposed a $340 million penalty on the institution, and it's somewhat of a unique uh, action by the state regulators. And so, Charles, do you think that the settlement amount was justified and fair? Absolutely, it was fair, Tracy. Keep in mind that the people of the state of New York, of all states, have every right to have their laws and their regulations enforced, particularly in that state. As we approach the 11th anniversary of 9-11, they have every right to have their laws and regulations enforced as vigorously as possible by their own state regulators and their own authorities, especially where the transactions are believed to be of a nature that fosters and promotes possible terrorist activities by rogue nations such as Iran. The $340 million penalty in the overall scheme of things for this bank, Standard Chartered, is peanuts. Last year, this bank reported in 2011 a profit of $6.78 billion, with a B, dollars. The previous year was a little less. In 2010, they reported a profit of $6.12 billion. So under either year, the $340 million that the New York Department of Financial Services imposed on this bank is less than 5% of one year's profit. It also, by the way, if you want to look at it from another standpoint, they were accused and they admitted to conducting 60,000 illegal transactions for a total of $250 billion over a decade. They lied to regulators, in fact, in one year about how many transactions they had conducted. That means that the average transaction was about $4.1 million each. If you were to assess a 3% figure to the profit that the bank made on each of those transactions, and we don't know what that is because that hasn't been disclosed, they made a profit of about $7.5 billion on these 60,000 transactions so that the penalty that was imposed by Mr. Lorsky's department is less than 5% of that profit number. I've heard a lot of crying and moaning and groaning about how a state regulator is stepping in where federal agencies need to be acting, but Mr. Lorsky was fully within his his rights and pursuing this aggressively and with Senator Carl Levin of Michigan, the chairman of the Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, said a few days ago after the settlement was announced, it takes this type of action by a regulator to get banks to toe the line and not endless debate and discussion about how much a penalty should be. What Senator Levin said is that we need regulators with backbone. 
Now, Charles, as you've noted, there have been critics who have said that the state's actions were out of line and that the State Department should have waited for federal regulators to complete their investigation into these alleged BSA violations before stepping in. But what precedent has this New York regulator set and what does it mean, you think, for other institutions? Now, we at the Association of Certified Financial Crime Specialists, ACFCS, we're based in Miami, for example, a large state, the fourth largest in the nation, that also issues licenses and charters for financial institutions to operate here in our state, just like the people of the state of New York gave standard chartered its license. Now, I expect my regulators here in this international state, which is viewed as a gateway to Latin America, etc., where there's a lot of corruption, a lot of illegal activity, just like in New York, for example. I expect the people of our state to look at our regulators, our state regulators, whose salaries we pay to enforce our regulations. The federal agencies have had a recent history of being asleep at the switch, and the state agencies have all the right in the world to pursue their own remedies under their own laws and regulations. But the most important thing about what the state agencies are doing and what the federal agencies do when you talk about just imposing a monetary penalty, is that if it's as small as this one is, $340 million in the overall scheme of things, that doesn't deter them from repeating what they did. They're going to look at it as a cost of doing business. Well, it's only 5% of our last year's profit. The only deterrent in the long analysis is not only a significant dent in profit, but also prison terms. Start sending them away for five, ten years in the federal penitentiary, you're going to see some changes in the culture of these financial institutions. It's something that I did want to ask about because in this particular instance and in other instances that we've seen, it really is a cultural issue. Do you see, Charles, banks working to change some of that cultural perspective where BSA compliance is concerned? No. The, uh, the lure of profits is too big and the risk of getting caught is too small. In late 2011, you founded a new association that's dedicated to addressing and attacking financial crime. How does SCB's alleged BSA violations touch on some of the issues this new association addresses? Well, the Association of Certified Financial Crime Specialists, ACFCS.org, is based on the very logical notion that every single financial crime has certain common elements. They all involve a financial institution. They all involve money laundering. They all result in tax evasion. The big ones usually involve multiple countries, as you can see from SCB and HSBC. So that we play into the hands of the financial criminal, whether it be some banker who's breaking the law to surreptitiously pass on money to Iranian agencies, or whether it's Bernie Madoff. We play into the hands of those people by splintering our efforts and having an association for fraud or a certification, a certification or association for money laundering or for corruption, etc. So we say it's time to break down the silos and to break down the splintered approach and combine efforts, converge them. And that's what ACFCS, the Association of Certified Financial Crime Specialists, is all about. In the SCB case, as you just asked, there are several financial crimes involved in what they did, not only the money laundering, the sanctions violations, which is also covered by our association, the BSA violations, and who knows, there may be some corruption involved. In every one of these instances, you'll have examples and instances of multiple financial crimes performed under one little umbrella. And so ACFCS is designed to attack that broadly, uniformly, and away from the siloed approach. 
And so, Charles, what can you tell us about your experience in the AML area, and how will some of that experience be folded into the role you play at ACFCS? Uh, our experience is extensive. When uh, other folks took over ACAMS after we sold it, and I left them in uh, early 08, we had reached 140 countries uh, with our certification. Those are different times then. That experience in terms of understanding what financial institutions and the entire financial sector, and including broker-dealers, insurance companies, and the rest, all deal with the money laundering issue, and that is part of financial crime. So the experience that we accumulated back in those days fits right into the overall financial crime approach. And in fact, the certification that we are building now, money laundering and fraud expertise leads to expertise in the overall financial crime field. So that experience we have works very well in this new, broader, more logical approach to financial crime. And you've touched on this somewhat, Charles, but I'm going to ask you to expand a bit here. What is the mission of this new association, and why did you feel that the timing for founding this association was right? There's a pretty broad movement worldwide right now, and even in the federal agencies, they're now converging their units, So, uh, as are the financial institutions, converging them, because it makes sense. Why have a unit for money laundering, a unit for fraud, a unit for global anti-corruption, FCPA, a unit for sanctions, a unit for compliance, a unit for this and a unit for that. It doesn't make any sense. Plus, it costs a heck of a lot. Why not put them under one roof and thereby enhance collaboration, information sharing, sharing of skills? So that's the approach that we take for public and private sector, working in, in banks and broker-dealers and insurance companies, plus the government, regulators and enforcement agents and prosecutors. We say, come on into this big tent that we've built we're here to enhance your knowledge, enhance your skills, and certify those who can pass a rigorous certification program. And then, Charles, before we close, what final thoughts would you like to share about the certification program that you've mentioned, and how can interested members of our audience get more information? They can visit our website at ACF as in Frank, C as in Charles, S as in Sam, dot org, or call our customer service department, 786 517 2701. Our certification will be like the anti-money laundering certification that we built 11 years ago. Candidates will have to pass questions that are administered at secure proctored testing centers offered around the world through our psychometric company that we hire. We expect the passing rate to be somewhere in the neighborhood of about 70%. Charles, I want to thank you again for your time today. Thank you very much, Tracy. Again, we've just heard from Charles and Triago. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.